Destination Eat Drink is up next, but first, listen to this great other show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Espresso. French press. Mocha. Frappuccinos. None of these will be discussed, but all will be used on Caffeinated Comics. It's a weekly podcast about comics, movies, TV, and collectibles, hosted by a former comic book store owner and an ex-comedian. What a resume. Sometimes there's special guests. Sometimes it's just us reporting the latest geek news and arguing, like why I love cable. And why you're wrong about that. So join us each week on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network for superpowers and caffeine. Remember when you made those cappuccinos? Yeah, that whole day's a whole blur. A dish named after Romeo and Juliet, Brazilian moonshine, and how to best enjoy carnival. This week, we're in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we explore a different city and enjoy the dishes and drinks that make that city unique. And since Carnival is coming up, I thought we should visit Rio de Janeiro this week. But before we do that, don't forget to subscribe to Destination Eat Drink wherever you get podcasts. Stitcher, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're on all of them. Or head to radiomisfits.com for your fix. I've also got all the episodes archived at destinationeatdrink.com. Tom LeMessurier is a British expat who in 2009 did what so many of us dream of. He sold everything and set off for Latin America. Today, he's living the dream in Rio and taking visitors on tours of culinary discovery with his company Eat Rio. So let's samba and enjoy some Brazilian cocktails in Rio. Destination Eat Drink. Tom, you aren't originally from Rio. You're from England. And I always think that people who travel around the world and wind up in new places have an interesting backstory. So what's yours? How, how did you wind up in Rio being a British person? Yeah, it, it was never part of my plan. I it, Back in 2009, I booked a four-month trip to South America, just basic backpacking stuff. Uh, the idea was to start in Argentina and finish in Colombia four months later. Um, I didn't want to go home. It was January. I had the idea of going back to London in January. I quit my job before I left. It was like... I could stay here on the Caribbean coast of Colombia, or I could go back to London in the depths of winter and look for a job. So I tore up my return ticket and my four month trip became a year. Uh, whilst traveling up in Nicaragua, I met, uh, I met a girl from Rio and we got on really well. So a couple of months later, I came down to see her on my way home, thinking I'd stay for a week. And uh, three, four months after I got there, we got married and I decided to stay. It's it's always about a girl, isn't it, Tom? <laughs> I know. It's uh, such an unoriginal story. <laughs> no, it's 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 not that it's not unoriginal. It's just that's how we are, you know, <laughs> meet a girl and no, it absolutely. changes your life, right? Yes. Yeah, suddenly the plans change. Uh, yeah. I, I called up my mom back home who'd been expecting about six months before. And I was like, change your plan. I'm staying here. I'm getting married to this girl I met a few months ago. And uh, she was... Uh, she took it pretty well, to be fair. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you leave. Hope, hope you can make it to the wedding. Well, that's exactly. That's, it was in about a month's time. She made it just. Um, but, uh, you know, I think when you leave the door open for a uh, chance to uh, have an effect, uh, often really amazing things happen. In Rio, it's such a vibrant and exciting city. And when I come down to visit Rio, 
what would you tell me, Tom, are some of the dishes that I, I have to eat, that I have to try as soon as I get there? Uh, the one that is often quoted as uh, Brazil's national dish. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're really going to be a stickler for details, Brazil doesn't have that. It has a national cocktail, which is the Calabria, which is definitely something you'd be wanting to try. Um, but for for the closest possibly to a national dish, they have feijoada. Feijoada, a sort of rich uh, beanie stew uh, with various different types of pork and cured beef, sausage, uh, uh, real, you know, it's actually, I always think it would be more appropriate for a very cold country. Um, I think it does have its roots in in Spain, Portugal, and even as far as France uh, originally. Um, but uh, yeah, it's served with collard greens, rice, a sort of toasted cassava flour they call farofa. Um, and usually washed down with a few drinks to, to go with it. Um, it's the sort of meal where, you know, you really want to go and have a lie down afterwards. You know, they always say, don't don't make plans for after a feijoada because normally <laughs> you just want to have a, have a little lie down. So is this a this sounds like more of a rustic dish rather than a fancy dish. Where would we go to get this uh, black bean stew? My absolute favorite is a bar in the region just the sort of north and east of uh, Zona Sul, which is the main sort of, let's say, area where tourists would stay in an area called Tijuca. Um, and it's actually a real hotspot for amazing little rustic bars and places with great food, you know, sort of home cooked stuff. My absolute favorite is a place called Bar do Momo. So it's like Bar do and then M-O-M-O, Bar do Momo. And uh, this dish, it's such interesting. It's it's there are places that where they'll serve it every day, but traditionally it's eaten on a Saturday. Um, to catch the kind of working crowd, a lot of places will serve it on a Friday as well. So um, I think Friday is the day to go. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real winner. Have uh, some of the higher end restaurants, what I'm seeing is a lot of these rustic dishes then become elevated in high end haute cuisine restaurants. Do you see this dish in, in high end restaurants as well? Um, I am sure there are places that do it. I don't, I mean, it's interesting. It's something, there's always a sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like a conflict between this sort of movement. I think this is global as well, right? Uh, you know, uh, rustic dishes are given the kind of gourmet treatment. And sometimes it really works and people say, what a great idea. And sometimes people say, don't, don't mess with the original, you know. I'm not really aware of anywhere that's really knocking it out of the park and sort of, you know, um, has got people talking with a, with a high-end version. Uh, one thing which is quite interesting uh, happened uh, quite a few years ago now, um, a, a real figure on the, um, the dining scene here, a woman called Katia Barbosa. Ella, she took, sorry, I'm switching to Portuguese there. Um, she took the, uh, she took this enormous belly busting dish and she kind of reduced it into a bite sized little sort of croquette. Uh, here, there's various different types of this croquette. We call it a bolinho. And she made a bolinho de feijoada. So imagine reducing entire meal into a bite sized uh, croquette. She did oh, that. It. And it's really amazing, actually. And she started it in this one little bar. But uh, very generously, essentially gave the recipe away. And you can now eat it all over the country. I heard you drop into Portuguese for a second there. I would imagine in London, you didn't learn Portuguese as a schoolboy. Um, how's your Portuguese? And 
how difficult was it to learn? And, you know, where are you with your Portuguese speaking? Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's an ongoing uh, situation for me. Uh, I had never planned to come to Brazil. So I'd been avidly learning Spanish before I left the UK. I then had the best part of a year traveling in Spanish speaking countries. So when uh, if I'd known I was going to end up in Brazil, of course, I would have done things slightly differently. Um, I do really well now. I, I've had to give myself a break on my Portuguese because for a long time I was like, oh, you should be better. You should be better. And honestly, if you're learning a language, the worst thing you can do is give yourself a hard time. You have to accept that you're going to make mistakes and speak it and feel a bit silly sometimes because that's the only way you get better, really. So I I get better every day. Um, uh, I'm not sorry to say exactly, but uh, the the person who I came here and got married to, she's we stayed together, had many happy years together, but we're not together anymore. And I, I got to tell you, actually, if you ever want to learn a language, because she spoke perfect English, um, the uh, the best thing for me was becoming single again, because then I was dating people who only spoke Portuguese. <laughs> and I tell you what, if that's an amazing incentive. <laughs> you've got to you've got to get better if you want to have a successful date. And uh, yeah, my my Portuguese got a lot better in the last few years. Oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because a lot of American tourists, they go down. I don't think it's as much so today, but back in the day, a lot of American tourists go down to Brazil and they're like, well, I'll just use my Spanish that I learned in high school. And they're freaking out to realize it's a completely different language. Sure, some words are a little bit similar and whatnot, mm -hmm. but you're, you're not going to get by with your high school Spanish in Brazil if you want to talk to the locals. No, I mean, it's interesting that a lot of people are shocked, actually, especially when they come to Rio, which is, you know, a pretty well-established tourist destination. They're shocked at how few people speak English here. Um, and, you know, it's funny, actually, the native English speakers don't really like to complain about it because it sounds a bit sort of arrogant, you know, showing up in a country. Why don't you speak my language? But actually, the, the non-native English speakers, you know, people from France, Germany, Spain, etc., I hear a lot. They, they complain. They're like, why doesn't anyone speak English here? Um, but I mean, honestly, you get by with a smile, a bit of sign language. If you do speak Spanish and you speak it slowly, actually, it gets through. Um, and actually, if you speak Spanish and can read Spanish, then you can almost read Portuguese. Uh, it's just that it sounds very different when it's being spoken. Um, but if you speak Spanish slowly, they'll usually get the gist. Uh, the only thing is you're not going to understand a word they say back to you, most likely. Right. We just got back from Portugal. We were there in the summer. And my understanding, because we met a lot of people from Brazil, um, in Lisbon especially, and what they said was, you know, they're two very different languages, not only two different cultures, but uh, the Brazilian Portuguese and Portugal Portuguese aren't exactly the same. There is some differences there. Oh, there are some really major differences. Uh, I remember the first time I had a Portuguese couple on my food tour, uh, almost everything I said, they would be, they would have a little chuckle. I mean, they were being friendly, but they'd have a little chuckle and they'd be like, oh, say it again. It's so funny the way you say it. And I was like, oh, you're in Brazil now, my friend. Uh, this is how we say it here. But uh, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I mean, for as I had, had not heard uh, Portuguese from Portugal really until more after I'd really settled in here in Brazil. And uh, it, it sounds incredibly compressed uh, compared to the Portuguese that's spoken here. And in Brazil, it's it's much more, I wouldn't say lazy exactly, but it's kind of more relaxed. So a brilliant example, there's a really funny uh, video on YouTube of a Brazilian comedian and a Portuguese comedian sitting on stage, just making fun of each other, really. Um, uh, but uh, one, of the, one, of, one of my favorite examples they used was the word cholesterol. Which uh, here in Brazil, it's pretty similar. You say colesterol, but in Portugal, that gets condensed down to colstrol, 
so it's funny there's things like the famous um the sort of custard tart which the portuguese left behind in, in all their colonies uh here we would call that a, a pastel de nata and uh this was actually the one that made my, my portuguese couple laugh they say pastel pastel de nata sort of almost with the mouth shut uh and it, it's I'm actually growing to like it, but I have to say, when I first heard it, I thought that the Portuguese from Portugal was a little, a little ugly. But uh, don't don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the pastel de nata, and are there other Portuguese dishes that are very famous in Rio, or that have kind of migrated back to Brazil because of the connection between Portugal and Brazil? Oh, there absolutely are. And uh, I think, you know, anything with bacalhau, that's the salt cod, um, that usually has a real strong link back to Portugal. Uh, We see um, around Christmas time, especially anyone with even the most tenuous ancestral link to Portugal, they start claiming that they are Portuguese, just that I'm Portuguese. So are you really? Um, but, uh, you know, around Christmas time, we all want to feel our ancestral links, I guess. So um, the, the cod uh, purchases really skyrocket. Um, it's interesting, actually, all the cod comes in from Norway, pretty much. I think it's one of the few right. countries where they still have really sustainable stocks. Um, and it's a really important business link, actually. Um, so, yeah, around Christmas time, they'll be buying big fillets and they'll be cooked, um, sort of usually baked with a lot of olive oil and so on. Um, but uh, probably a more accessible option is the bolinho. Again, it's another bolinho. This is a, a mix of uh, basically mashed potato, uh, the salt cod, the bacalhau, um, some egg, which just sort of holds it all together, and some parsley. And uh, it's actually one of the things we include on our food tours because it's just a classic. It's sold in almost every bar around the city. And uh, there are good ones, there are terrible ones, and there are great ones. And uh, for me, as a, as a food tour guide, it's really important to try and, you know, we often get people, when I say, oh, we're going to have a bolina de bacalhau now, they go, oh, we had those yesterday. We didn't really like them. And I'm like, oh, I totally understand. Try this, you know. And uh, that's actually what, I guess, being a food tour guide is all about, really. It's trying to connect people with the best, I mean, telling them what they should be eating, but also which one they should be eating, you know, from which bar, from which hole in the wall. Uh, because uh, if you make the wrong decisions here, you can have a very disappointing time, uh, culinarily speaking. Once something gets famous, everyone copies it, and then you'll have good ones, you'll have bad ones. And it's you know it's really easy to fall into the tourist place. They've got a big sign. There's a lot of people there. It seems like, hey, this is the place to go. And then you're like, oh... That's kind of yeah. disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are places where you can wing it. You know, there are, in the world, there are places where the food is just a, such a good general standard. You can just walk, walk down a street, like the look of a place, and you'll do well. Uh, Rio is not that kind of place. And I've, I, I remember uh, very clearly someone almost desperate got in touch with me one day, and she was like, please tell me that there's good food here because I've wasted so much money and so many calories on bad food. And uh, it was sad. It was her last day in the city. And she was like, I finally found you guys. And, you know, she had a great day of eating. But, uh, yeah, it is. There's plates. You know, you can fall into tourist traps here very easily. So she went home with a good taste in her mouth, which is which is the nice thing about it. She'll go back home and tell her friends, you know, here's what you have to do when you go to Rio. What are some other dishes that we should be trying, Tom, when we're in Rio? 
Uh, my absolute favorite, if I had to pick a favorite, I think I would have to go with Mokeka. Uh, Mokeka is an incredible sort of seafood stew, sometimes made with just with uh, pieces of fish, sometimes, you know, taken up a level with uh, with shrimp, uh, even other sort of shellfish and so on. Um, there's two main versions. Uh, my favorite is the one from Bahia, which has a sort of Afro-Brazilian twist. So they, that one involves uh, coconut milk as well, something called dendê, which is uh, red palm oil. Um, that's a very much a sort of culinary link back to Africa. It's used a lot in West African cuisine and it, it adds this beautiful color to the dish, it gives it a deep orange color. And it also adds a really amazing sort of uh, deep uh, sort of uh, just a, a beautiful depth of flavor, really. Um, and it's it's really it's original. It speaks to the, the historical roots of Brazil with its links to Africa. Um, and, I, I you know, if you don't hate seafood, then it's almost you know, I mean, it's only people who really don't like seafood who are going to love it. But uh, for us, it's a real crowd pleaser. Where was the place you said that we should go to try that, Tom? For Moqueca, I often go to a place. Uh, I mean, really, it's it's sort of heartland it is in the north. Uh, so in the state of Bahia, the capital there is Salvador. Uh, and that is the place where, you know, it just, it's really it's, it's heartland. But uh, in Rio, there's a place called Aconchego Carioca. And that is actually the place where the uh, cachiababos are invented, uh, the bolina, the feijoada as well. So you get two for one on that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really, it's a special dish, I think. When I was preparing for us talking today, I read about a dish called uh, Romeo and Julieta. And this sounded really interesting to me. So I wanted to be sure and ask you about it when we talked. What can you tell me about, uh, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this, Romeo and Julieta? So, yeah, the, the pronunciation is funny. There's a lot of words here where an R will sound more like an H. So, for instance, actually the name of the city, the locals don't say Rio. They don't roll the R like a Spaniard and say Rio. They actually say Hio. It's a sort of aspirated H sound. Uh, so it's like they say here, Homeo y Julieta. So Romeo and Juliet, basically, uh, and it's a combination of two things. So usually some form of a cheese, usually a fairly light sort of creamy cheese um, and something related to guava. So guavas grow all over the place here. If you have a neighbor that has a guava tree, there'll be large periods of the year where you're like, please pick up those guavas because they just land all over the floor and start to get a bit stinky. Um, but uh <laughs> Yeah, the guava is usually made into a guava paste, not dissimilar to the sort of quince paste that you get in Spain, which is served with manchego. Um, yes. Here, it's guava, uh, a sort of a guava jam. Sometimes it's more set and solid, sometimes more sort of loose and flowing. Um, but yeah, it's this combination between cheese and guava. And it's actually, I love it, actually. I think it's really, really good. And uh, it's something you sometimes you'll see it like even they'll give it a twist. Like it'll be like a, almost like a cheese ice cream, like a savory ice cream served with like a guava jam spread over the top. Oh, Sometimes wow. it'll be more like um, a sort of a, a harder cheese, almost like a halloumi with a sort of a guava jam spread on top. But it works really well, this sort of savory, sweet combination. It's something that Brazilians do very well, I think. Where would we get this? Would it be at a restaurant as an appetizer? Would it be at a snack bar? Would it be a street food stand? What kind of places would serve this? I mean, I really like it. There's a, there's a street food dish you see in a lot of the street markets here. Sometimes on sort of corners outside metro stations, that's the subway, um, where you'll see people making up a type of, it's almost like a pancake. It's made with uh, tapioca starch. Um, they sort of heat the tapioca starch in a pan and it kind of forms a gel. Um, and then pretty much 
then you just decide what you want to put on it. So often it will be things like cheese with oregano or for people who want something sweet, they'll put like loads of condensed milk and coconut. But uh, the Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Julieta version is really yummy, I think. So uh, that's pretty much on any street corner. It's a really popular topping. Um, but you'll also see it in um, in just sort of any sort of homey kind of restaurant. It's quite a common um, dessert. So, uh, yeah, there are various different incarnations, and that is definitely one of the ones where you might see a sort of more gourmet version in a higher-end restaurant as well. But uh, that's one, it's it's spread around. You know, there isn't one place where it's like, ah, oh, you have to go for the Homeo Juliet there. We're talking to Tom Lemegier, and Tom runs Eat Rio, a food tour company in Rio de Janeiro. Tom, let's talk drinking. You guys at Eat Rio, you run a craft beer tour what are some of the more unusual in, – in fact, let's start. Where What's the craft beer scene like in Rio, and what are some of the craft beers that we should try when we're there? Well, the craft beer scene here has exploded over the last five years. And I have to say, as uh, as a happy consumer, I, I've become much happier since I got here, uh, since, since this thing happened. So I arrived here back in 2010. And really, in those days, if you could just find anything which wasn't the really cheap industrial stuff – you'd be delighted. I mean, I remember being delighted when they started selling Heineken's on the beach because <laughs> beer beer drinking on the beach is the thing you do. I mean, it's you, there's no none of the restrictive laws that you have, I know, in the US um, for where you can drink here. You can drink pretty much anywhere. And when it's so hot and humid here and ice cold beer is uh, just the ticket, um, generally the standard beers here are extremely light. And like I say, if it's over 100 degrees and humid, then you're probably not going to be demanding a, a heavy stout or something anyway. But, you know, there comes a time when you actually want something with a bit more personality. And, yeah, when I got here, it was there were a couple of specialist bars, but nothing much. And now it's a very different story. There are a lot of great places. You'll sit down and they'll bring you the beer menu. Uh, the idea of a beer menu when I got here was just madness. So <laughs> it's really, it's such, I'm still like thrilled when I sit down and they bring me the beer menu and I'm leafing through pages and pages of IPAs and, you know, strong Belgian ales and so on. Um, it's uh, it's a real treat. So it's come along, uh, it's come a long way. Um, and what I really like to see actually is that, um, brewers here there's a lot of local brewers small small scale uh, operations and they're really getting into using local brazilian ingredients fruits and spices which only grow here um so you know it's great that they're of course they are also using european and american styles as their inspiration so you'll see a lot of things like new england ipas and uh and you know sort of uh, belgian style beers but uh, they are also doing their own thing which i think is is really cool I love the creativity there. Where's a place we could go to maybe sample some of these beers or do breweries themselves have tours in Rio? Um, there are, I'm trying to think was a really good one. Uh, there's, there's a really good place, uh, called hop lab. Uh, you'll go in there and, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's sort of, you have to find, uh, I guess, look for what you're, what you're really interested in here and sort of target your search. So there are a lot of places serving bottles, bottled beers. Of course, I think that's sort of practically speaking a lot easier for bars to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I think for a lot of us, the, the Holy Grail is getting beers on tap. 
And I remember talking to a guy once, one of the owners, and saying, why don't you do that more? And he said, you know, practically speaking, it's it's a lot more expensive for them and so on. But Hop Lab is amazing. I think they are current record holder with about 30 taps, and they, they will be uh, rotating things. So, you know, whenever you go there, you're going to find something uh, something different. Um, oh, a place that I really like, actually, is Marchezinho. This is in Botafogo. And we actually base our craft beer lab around the neighborhood of Botafogo, which is really up and coming. It's really exciting. There's a lot of young chefs, young bar owners coming in and and really getting experimental and trying new things. Marchesino is a place I've, I've liked for a long time, pretty much since it opened. Uh, it's French owned, hence a sort of it's a sort of uh, this name like Marche, and Zinho is a sort of French Brazilian uh, sort of hybrid word meaning little market. Um, and although it is French owned, there's about uh, three or four uh, partners in the business. They insist on solely uh, Brazilian producers, small producers. So all the cheese is Brazilian, <laughs> all the charcuterie is Brazilian, uh, local producers, uh, really artisanal product, product, uh, products, which I think is uh, really lovely to see. And they will always have a couple of uh, locally brewed beers on tap, which I think is is really nice to see as well. You talked about cocktails earlier, Tom, and I guess the a lot of the cocktails are based around the spirit called uh Kachika? Is that how you say it? So um, a lot of people have trouble with this, uh, the pronunciation of this word, and I totally understand because I had no idea before I got here. I was like, kakaka, kahaka. Uh, so it's kashasa. So kashasa. 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 Cachaça. So cachaça is the fermented distilled uh, juice of sugarcane. Uh, Brazil grows more sugarcane than the next six countries combined. So it's way out world leader. And they do a lot of things with it. They, they turn it into ethanol, which uh, goes into their cars here. Uh, they also use actually just the sugarcane juice itself as a brilliant hangover cure. So that's such often very useful uh, knowledge for people coming here on holiday. Um, but yeah, cachaça is essentially like a sort of cousin of rum. Um, it's traditionally was pretty rough it was kind of almost like a sort of moonshine thing and even today if you've got like a a friend who's got like an uncle who lives in the countryside or something when he comes to visit he usually brings a couple of rather dubious looking unmarked (laughs) bottles of spirit um (laughs) i always think it's usually pretty good but uh, you normally feel it the next day right Um, but what's been really nice actually is again i think over the last sort of 20 30 years uh people are starting to use sort of various different aging techniques. Um, so one of one of the uh, cachaças I really like is actually made in the state of Rio. It's called Magnifica. They make various different versions of their of cachaça, but uh, one of the most delicious is a 12-year aged cachaça, which is aged in oak barrels, which they actually buy from Jack Daniels, um, okay. which is it's really it's a special spirit this is one that you would happily drink just sipping it itself and enjoying all the uh, the aromas that it gives off um but what's also again really nice is that we're starting to see a lot of places using different brazilian woods so woods which are only native to brazil which are only found in brazil they're using those to make barrels and all different woods that they're using are imparting sort of different nuanced uh, aromas and flavors which i think is really nice and what would be a cocktail that we'd get with the cachaça? So, so the classic cachaça cocktail is caipirinha. Uh, caipirinha looks like, uh, again, that's another one that people have trouble with. Uh, I have a lot of people asking if we're going to drink Cipriani's. Uh, so caipirinha, caipirinha uh, is the national cocktail here. It's, it's a pretty simple affair. Basically, uh, traditionally, it would be made with lime. Um, when you get here, a lot of people are surprised to find actually 
they make caipirinhas with all kinds of other fruits, which adds another nice dimension. Um, but traditionally, lime, sugar, cachaça, and ice. That is it. And I can tell you from my my first few days experience, I had had two caipirinhas in my life made back in London. And they're pretty much, you know, they use two shots of, uh, of spirits. So, you know, you can drink a few of them and feel like you've a few gin and tonics or, you know, rum and cokes or whatever your drink is. Uh, I got to Rio and I was very excited to be here. And I think I had about five or six. <laughs> and uh, wow, I woke up the next afternoon asking what happened. You know, it's uh, here, they free pour usually and they're, they're pretty generous. So it's, uh, it's, it's a hell of a drink. And um, it's very, very refreshing. And if it's well made, you know, you can drink two or three. And it's only really when you stand up, you'll suddenly go, oh, yes, I've had a drink. Um, so it's actually really, really delicious. But uh, it's definitely good to, you know, pause between drinks just to let it all work into your system. If you don't want to have to be put in a cab back to the hotel. Right, right. And they also make a drink called the uh, Batida. How is that different? It uses the same spirit, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, bachida uh, kind of literally means... Bachida. Yeah, T-I has a ch sound. It's uh, just another one of the little things you have to learn here. But uh, bachida, they'll understand. But uh, generally, we would say bachida, which means beaten. And uh, in very sort of rustic places, it tends to be basically a third cachaça, a third some kind of fruit juice, usually uh, passion fruit or coconut. Those are very popular ones. And about a third condensed milk. And it will be served in like a little shot glass, and it's sweet, quite potent. But you know the heaviness of the uh, the condensed milk makes it, you know, you have one, you're like, okay, I think I'll take a break. Um, now this will be a real top tip for anyone who's interested in trying something a bit different. Um, there is uh, a really great little bar in a neighborhood called Praça da Bandeira. This is a little bit off the beaten track, and the bar is called Nu. N-O-O. Uh, it specializes actually in cachaça. They have over 200 different cachaças, oh, but wow. they also make about they make about 15 different bachidas. And what's really nice for me is that one, they make it without the condensed milk, so it doesn't have that sort of heavy, sickly quality. But also, they use amazing fruits. I mean, Brazil, you can't talk about Brazilian cuisine without talking about the incredible variety and also quality of fruits. I mean, there are fruits here I never even heard of. They don't often, they don't even have names in English and they often don't make it out of Brazil. That might be because they don't transport well or for some other reason, but right. they use fruits with names like mangaba, cupuaçu, um, what has it got? Graviola. Uh, these amazing fruits. For me, this was a voyage of discovery when I got to Brazil just to sort of discover all these incredible flavors, but they use these in their bachidas and it's actually the only place I know that does that. Uh, and it's actually really amazing. They'll serve them in sort of groups of six so you can order six different varieties and it comes in a really nice little serving uh, sort of palette almost looks like an artist's palette and uh, you sit there and sip away uh, on these different flavors and that's a that's a really it's a really lovely experience that sounds great you know you mentioned all these fruits that are different and unique to brazil is there maybe a outdoor market where we could go and experience this try some of these fruits or maybe if we had an Airbnb we could maybe buy some and try cooking with them in our own apartment when we're in Rio. Absolutely. I mean, it's the first thing we do on all our daytime food tours is visit one of Rio's street markets. Uh, here, the street market is called a feira, F 
E-I-R-A, Feira. And uh, every day in Rio, there are about, usually about five running uh, on the streets. Uh, the problem or the slight complication is they move every day. So if you find one on Monday and you go back on Tuesday, it's gone. Um, right. So you might just see some remnants of whatever they left behind, but basically it's gone. So on any day of the week, you need to know where you're going. Um, but I always try and get people, even if they don't, you know, if they don't have time to book the tour, you know, it's a flying visit or something. I'm always like, go to a street market and I'll tell them where they are because it's just such a, an assault on the senses, uh, you know, amazing flavors, all the, all the people selling fruits there, especially the fruits, but you know, the vegetables as well. Everything gets lined up beautifully, super photo photogenic. If you like sort of wandering through markets and taking photos, I think it's a great way to get to know the way the locals are here. So a local who's born and raised in Rio is called a carioca and they're famous for being really friendly and fun. And, uh, you know, they might not be the most punctual people in the world. They tend to show up late for everything. Thing, but they're the, some of the kindest people in the world. And even if you don't speak a word of Portuguese, you can walk through and you'll see people are sort of cutting up mangoes. Hey, I taste a mango, you know. And uh, yeah, if you're in an Airbnb, I would go with a big bag and fill up because uh, it's, you know, you can just see the colors of the fruit, the size of the fruit. You can see how delicious they are. And yeah, we always uh, start our food tours with, uh, we'll go through the market picking up fruits and then we'll cut everything up and have a big, messy fruit tasting. And uh, it's a really nice way to start the day. Tom, it's carnival season. You've got hundreds of thousands, if not a million people coming to Rio to experience Carnival. What do you tell people if they're coming down for this giant crush of humanity? What's the best way to experience it? And, you know, how can they how can they really experience it without, you know, losing their minds in this in this huge crush? I mean, it's it really is uh, an intense party. Um, officially, it starts either Friday night or I think Saturday morning really and runs through till Wednesday afternoon. But the reality is that the parties have already started mostly on the weekends. Uh, and actually after the end of carnival, again, there's a lot of people who like, I think they have trouble accepting that it's over. So they just keep going anyway. So, um, there's, there's a lot of partying and a lot of people and it's at, you know, the back end of our hottest time of the year. So, you know, it definitely pays to prepare for things to be super informal and hot. You're not going to need any warm clothes. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's really important to, well, Okay, first of all, you need to understand there's two sides to carnival. There's this big procession, which you see footage of quite regularly. People sit in tiered seating. You buy tickets for this type of, this part of the carnival. This is where you have the samba schools. This is where there are judges marking it. And it's quite carefully choreographed. And it's, it's an amazing spectacle. Um, and, you know, a lot of people come here thinking that's, that's what Rio Carnival is. Um, I would say that's that's just one part of Rio Carnival. The other part, which for me is really where it gets interesting, is the street carnival. So they call this Carnaval de Rua. And, and this is every day in Rio, there are blocos. A bloco is a street party. And during the height of carnival, there might be 50, 60, even 70 of these blocos. A bloco can have anything between a couple of thousand and over a million people. Uh, oh, it's really, uh, oh like, I mean, it's, it's tough to get anything done. I mean, a lot of times we say the, the year doesn't start until after carnival's finished because, you know, imagine you're trying to get to work and there's a million people having a great time, uh, in the way. Um, and you know, carnival starts early. Uh, the best, a lot of the best carnival block will start at 7 a.m. Oh, jeez. A lot of people assume the party doesn't get going till the afternoon, but for me, the best carnival parties run between about 7 and say 6 p.m. Uh, a lot of us will just go home after that and rest 
in, in preparation for the next day's carnival. Um, I think it's probably good. You know, I know a lot of people come to Rio and they have safety concerns. It's a, it's a big part of what I try and do is to try and, you know, put safety concerns into perspective. Um, and given that carnival is the time when most people are coming, or it's Rio, certainly one of our peak times, uh, it's good to sort of try and get things into perspective as far as safety is concerned. Um, you know, of course, you can get robbed in Rio, but let's remember you can also get robbed in Buenos Aires, in Barcelona, in London, and Chicago, and anywhere else you can think of. Um, people come here, I think, with very much exaggerated fears about the situation here. If you've traveled anywhere, pretty much, then you probably already know the common sense rules to follow. You know, um, if there's someone who you don't like the look of, you know, trusting your instincts, that's not the time to take out your cell phone. You know, that's when you keep it in your pocket. Um, you know, if you've got a really, really uh, valuable Rolex watch, maybe leave it at home. Uh, you know, if, you're, if you've had a few drinks um, and you're out on the streets at night, uh, that's not the time to go wandering down a dark alley on your own. You know, uh, actually, it's really important to understand is that the people here in Rio, they're very, very friendly and very warm, and they are very protective of us, actually. You know, us, us being gringos, as they call us. Gringos here is just any foreigner. Um, and they are often, when I'm walking on the streets, they're often, you know, even after 10 years, there's no way anyone is going to think I'm Brazilian, probably. Right. But, you know, people come up to me, and especially if I'm walking with a group of tourists, uh, they'll come up to me and they'll be like, hey, just be careful, you know, make sure you don't do this. And, you know, they're giving advice and so on. And, uh, you know, it's really not the war zone that you'll be led to believe here. I think that's great advice. Use your common sense. I can't tell you how many times I've visited a place and people say, oh, aren't you afraid to go there? And I always, I'm like, have you looked at the statistics? <laughs> I'm a lot safer mm -hmm. there than I am here, meaning the United States. Um, one of the things I really like about your tours with Eat Rio, Tom, is that you get off the beaten path. And because Rio is such a huge city, I mean, it's bigger than New York, right? What are some of these untouristy places that you might tell people to go when they visit Rio? So absolutely. I mean, I've never, you know, this word tourism has so many different sort of associations, right? And it can be, obviously, I, I use the word tourist all the time. But I mean, really, I, you know, that idea of tourists as some sort of outsider showing up and not really understanding anything is what we try to keep away from really we want people to come here and really get a feel for the magic of this city which isn't you know in those super touristic areas um it's actually oft often down sort of side streets it's down in little hole in the wall places that have been run by the same family for generations um Certainly, uh, if you do a little bit of research, uh, there are a lot of these amazing. So a boteco is a, a bar, usually a sort of quite a, a often family run traditional bar, which sells traditional bar food. And, you know, the best botecos, it's, it's really, really good eating, good drinking, and, you know, super warm, friendly people. Uh, Tijuca is a region uh, just to the north of, of, of the center of Rio there, the, the south zone, which is the, the main area for tourists. Uh, Tijuca, you can arrive there and you can get there in, in 20 minutes, 25 minutes in a cab ride, or even take the subway out. The subway is very safe in Rio and very efficient. Um, and there are... It's like an oasis. There are just lots of really excellent little botecos there. So I mentioned earlier Bar de Momo. There's a place called Bar da Gema, which is really, really great as well. 
uh, Bar Madrid, like Madrid. Um, these are really, really wonderful places to eat. So, you know, if you have the time to do a little bit of Googling, a little bit of uh, research, uh, or drop me a line, I, I'm always really happy to, uh, to give people tips, uh, regardless of whether they're doing a tour with us. Um, and, you know, around Tijuca, you'll get some really great eating. Uh, another area, Plaza da Bandera, uh, really, really fantastic little bars around there. Really, you know, it's, it is about being targeted. There are excellent places to eat in some of the more uh, touristic areas. Copacabana, for instance, has an amazing place called Galetto Sats. It makes Galetto. This is another thing that I think everyone should eat when they come to Rio. It's a sort of, it's a young chicken that's been kind of spit roast over charcoal. And it's the sort of thing you usually indulge in if you're going home from, uh, you know, a heavy night of samba and caipirinhas. It's two <laughs> or three in the morning and you're thinking, right. oh, there's nothing to eat at home. And suddenly I have to eat. This place stays open till six in the morning. You'll get in there. It's busy. It's full of waiters ferrying um, drinks and and these amazing roast chickens uh, with all the trimmings. And uh, this is uh, this is a really special place for me. And uh, you know, we talk a lot about the bohemian bar culture in Rio, and it's those are the sort of places where you go. They've been running since the 40s, 50s, something like that. And uh, you know, you can feel the history, and it's it's really. I think it's really enjoyable to to sort of dive in and immerse yourself in that. You know, that's one of the most important things to find, Tom, is the place to go after the drinking. You know, it has to be open, has to be good, has to be filling, has to make you feel better um, for the next day. So that's a great tip. Uh, before we let you go, you know, of course, Rio and Brazil are famous for their beaches. Just tell us a couple of your favorites and, you know, any tips that you'd have for people who are in Rio how do you get to these beaches? You know what, what you should do when you when you get there. Okay, so yeah, beach culture here in Rio, especially, is I had to slightly readjust my uh, my sort of recalibrate my expectations for the beaches here because certainly in the center of the city, if you're thinking if your idea of a good beach is one with not many people on it, then you know the center of the city you're going to struggle um, unless it's pouring with rain, then you have it to yourself. But uh, really. A beach in the center of Rio is almost like going to like a club or a restaurant. You imagine you get there and there's no one there. You're a bit like, oh, that sucks. You know, it's like these <laughs> beach, the beach experiences. I sit there and people watch all day. There's so much stuff going on. There's people walking up and down selling snacks and drinks. There's people selling bikinis and all kinds of bits and pieces. And you know, there's always something going on. There's people kicking footballs around, uh, soccer, soccer balls, um, people playing all kinds of games and, and so on. So it, there's never a dull moment. And really, if you're looking for the deserted ex beach experience, then don't expect it in the center of Rio. There are places you can get to. Uh, usually it's an hour or so journey uh, sort of to the outer skirts of, uh, to the outskirts of Rio. Uh, there's a place called Prainha, which is really, really gorgeous. It takes yeah, a couple of hours to get there. Uh, it's a good surf beach, but because it's a little bit further from the center of Rio, that's a great place for the sort of more quieter beach experience. Um, but yeah, for the center of Rio, I mean, um, Ipanema, I think, you know, it's, it's not original. There are a lot of hotels there. So that, you know, you're going to be mixed in with locals and tourists together, but it's, it's a really nice beach. Actually, the sun lasts a bit longer there. It's at a different angle to the beach of Copacabana. So Copacabana beach, 
um, shadows start coming across from the big high-rise hotels which are next to it. Um, but there, there's a, a really nice part of the Copacabana Beach I like a lot, which is Lemmy. So uh, Lemmy and Ipanema and all the parts of Copacabana, they have uh, subway stations next to them, so they're e easy enough, enough to get to. Um, also, in terms of transport, Uber is everywhere now. And so Uber, really easy because you know, if you've got it hooked up to your credit card, you don't need to worry about having change. Uh, also, with the, it's really tough to say some of the place names. If you're trying to say the name of a street, they will look at you blankly because you're saying it all wrong. Right. So it's really nice just to be able to type it into your, into your cell phone and have it taken care of. Tom LeMessurier, thank you for being on the show. Before we say goodbye, tell us how we can book a tour with Eat Rio when we come to visit Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, sure. So, so our website is eatrio.net. So eatrio.net. And uh, you'll find a lot of information on things to do in Rio there. I've been pretty much building that up since I got here. So loads of tips. But yeah, get there's a contact us section on the uh, on the website where you can get in touch and we can we can get you booked on to we have daytime tours, which is either three hours or five hours. There's a there's an evening bar tour. There's a craft beer tour. And uh, yeah, really, we're all about helping you guys get the most delicious food and drinks that you can find. Sounds like it is a party all year round in Rio, not just for Carnival. And Tom is just the guy to lead you on that party in the city. Well, that's going to do it for this show. Before we go, though, let me remind you, visit our website, DestinationEatDrink.com. I posted over 40 detailed foodie travel guides from all over the world, whether it's New Zealand or Italy, France or Hawaii, New Orleans, Las Vegas. They're all there and tons and tons more. Next week, we'll be visiting Sicily and the city of Palermo for arancini, gelato on a brioche, and pastries made by a former nun. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>